Hey guys, welcome back. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> Look at our new setup. I know. So nice. Comfy. Show. Some real marble. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That I already made a water stain on um, <laughs> with my McDonald's Coke. Anyways, Bridget, you want to introduce our topic? Yeah, what so got? today I thought it would be a good topic to talk about why your dog doesn't listen to you. Because uh, we hear pretty often, well, my dog only listens when you're here, meaning the trainer, mm -hmm. or if your dog is listening to your significant other over you or in situations and not in others. So we thought that would be a good thing to discuss today. Yeah, kind of the why is it happening, mm -hmm. how to fix it, how do you end up getting to that point mm -hmm. where it happens type of thing. Yeah. What do you think, Seamus? So I think it's, I think especially when there's two people in the household, there's there's always one person that the dog tends to be a little bit more <clears throat> aware of kind of what they're saying and everything. Um, Mine is usually, it's the one that's super loving and giving all the treats and stuff, I find is the one that they almost take advantage of more. And so they are <laughs> less like, and I think people get confused by that where it's like, well, I'm the one that's always giving him affection and yeah. treats and everything. And it's like, yeah. but he still listens to the other person more. It's like, to me, it's because they're, they kind of know that you're the sucker, you know, they, they know that they can get what they want they can kind of work around you a yeah. little bit more whereas the other person's probably a little bit more strict with giving them mm -hmm. the treats and freedom mm -hmm. and all that stuff so that's kind of where i've i've find a consistency with it and you know easy solution is just saying you got to be strict too you know yeah. what i mean you got to not be so easy with them and everything but you know especially if you're already kind of that person for the dog yeah it can be really hard for them to be that assertive figure again mm -hmm. but that's well, you're kind, kind of, of like fighting an upward battle at that point right because right. the precedent is like already been set uh-huh and then you have to double back on and it. i think a lot of people like they tend to want to be this like good cop bad cop with the dog <laughs> right where it's like one person's super friendly and gives them yeah. sneaks of the treats under the table and all that stuff mm -hmm. and then the other one's got to be like the firm setting one. down the law exactly and the rules. but but you know if you're someone like that and you get kind of offended that your partner's has more control over the dog then that's yeah. what you got to do you know what i mean it's, you got to just be a little bit more assertive with it but. yes like not that you can't give your dog affection or love or have that love and relationship but in the training process, we have to take a look at the big picture. Mm -hmm. And are we having trouble with the dog taking advantage of us in situations and we don't want to see that behavior? Then we may need to kind of have a reality check and see what do we need to change and how can our communication with our dog be better? And unfortunately, communication through affection is not training, you know? Yeah. <laughs> So. Yeah, if you're like leading with love, mm -hmm. right, and you think you can like win them over just by like, yeah. you know, being the one that gives them all the good things. They're that's just not how that. dogs work. No, they're so much smarter. Than yeah, that. that's just, that's <laughs> just not how it works. Um, and I think like contextually, a lot of times, because probably the biggest thing that we hear when, especially because most of the sessions we do are like at the facility here. Mm -hmm. Like we do some at home stuff, and most of the time it's here. Um, people will be like, oh, when we're here, 
the dog does really good. Yeah. And doesn't we hear that a lot too. Lessons, yeah. so when we're at home, you know, they don't. Yeah. And I think that I talk a lot about this in our group classes too, but I think it's because of a couple reasons. One, when you're here, literally the whole purpose of you being here is to work with your right. dog. Mm-hmm. So you're 100% focused. Yeah is on your dog and so you're catching all of the little things Mm -hmm. you know and you're being very on top of your game Um, whereas obviously at home first and foremost you're living your life Mm -hmm. and then the dog is just a part of it right and sometimes people have a hard time like meshing the ability to like live their lifestyle and include proper management and stuff with their dogs in the process Mm -hmm. Um, and then I think the other piece is that we're not there, like, on your shoulder being like, you need to fix that. <laughs> Did you release them yeah. from that bed stay? Levels could be higher. Yeah, missed opportunities that people just in their everyday life go through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think it's like part of it is being realistic because I think sometimes maybe people bite off more than they can chew at home. And they're like, oh, well, I'm committing to, if, if I can't do an hour of training a day, then I should just not do anything. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so then because we're setting unrealistic expectations of ourselves and how to implement the training at home, it just doesn't end up happening at all. Mm-hmm. Rather than being like, like, I always try to give my clients really easy, realistic ways of implementing stuff throughout the week that doesn't require like setting aside like a specific training session like I think unavoidably there's times you have to do that Mm -hmm. but like once you get to a certain level it's like oh well you watch tv do a bed stay right yeah or yeah like stuff like that where it's like very easy ways to implement it and start to be a little more consistent with it like I always tell people there's going to be a point where it's a lot less about quantity and more about the quality of the command yes so there's going to be a point where you're not going to do like 25 reps or 30 reps like you do in your training sessions Mm -hmm. because your dog is going to become more proficient with understanding the command Mm -hmm. yep so then we just get like one really good 30 minute 20 minute bed stay at dinner time or when people are coming in and we start to see the real life changes happening when we're incorporating into how we actually live with our dogs yeah because repetition really is I'd say the most, uh, really the biggest reason we do a, a lot of repetitions in training is strictly to teach them the word mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. paired with the behavior. Exactly. Just constantly over and over again, this word predicts you're going to do this behavior just over and over again. So like you said, once they know the word and mm-hmm. the command, mm-hmm. repetitions really aren't that important. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't yeah, really matter. You need to keep like... Yeah. Like it. there might be certain times that you know, maybe doing a specific exercise with lots of repetitions could help with maybe a certain behavioral thing you're working on, anxiety, you know, different Mm -hmm. things like that, sure. But when it really comes down to it, repetition is more so just about teaching the command. Once they know it, then it's like, just tell them to sit once and make them hold it for five minutes and you're good to go. (laughs) Yeah. Another thing I think that um, I've had a lot more recently um, is they come for a follow-up and they say, well, when they're here, they're really good. Mm -hmm. Or when the collar's on, they're Mm -hmm. really good. But when the collar's off, then they don't miss a point. And that's another one where 
if you're using it as a teaching tool, and and especially for the boarding trains, you know, where it's like they're almost catching up to the dog. Yeah. And especially in that first week or so, you know, the, the dog's looking really good from the facility and then transitioning. And that's where I really get like hard on the owner sometimes and like this is the most important week. Like mm-hmm. if you are not consistent in this transition from facility to home isn't smooth and, and good, then like consistent with it, then it kind of falls apart, right? Yeah. But it's but it's also very hard for them sometimes because they they're just getting their dog back after not seeing him for a month. Mm-hmm. They want to spend time with them. They see how good they are, so they kind of be a little bit more relaxed with it because they're like, oh my gosh, you are so good, so I probably yeah. don't need to yeah. put as much effort as like maybe I thought I had mm-hmm. to at first. And so it kind of slacks back. Mm-hmm. But the e-collar too is like, well, if it's not on, of course they're not going to listen because you're yeah. taking an essential tool used mm-hmm. for teaching away, you yeah. know? Yeah. So... Because you're breaking habits. Mm -hmm. Right. As soon as the dog, like, dogs create really strong pictures and associations Mm -hmm. with either people, things, whatever. And so it's like when they go home, if we piggyback off of your example with board and trains, when they go home, home association, they don't naturally say, I'm going to take everything I learned and just do it here. They're like, I'm back to the place that I missed. Exactly. They're like, cool, I did that there. That doesn't happen here, you know? And so it's, you have to like actively, it's like if you're, if you're going to put any effort into the training, it needs to be this week (laughs) at at the most. Um, Because in the e-collar, I mean, we get that. I would assume you probably do as well. I think everyone would, even in private lessons, I'd say lesson like six to eight Mm -hmm. out of 10 is usually when people will bring up like. They're doing really good, but I've noticed that if the collar isn't on, that's when they're not listening or things like that. Um, and uh, again, it's just kind of a conversation of the collar cannot be situationally used mm-hmm. until all of the habits are like firmly either broken and then established yeah. at that point. Yeah. Um, and even with young dogs, like. If you're raising a dog, I think that you need to have whatever your communication or reinforcement system that you're using needs to be in place and accessible at least until the dog is fully mature. Yeah. Because like you could you could think like if you started training a dog at five months old, by seven months old, you really could have an off leash, fully trained dog. But you're right before maturity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so again, just because you have all the skills and the training in place, that doesn't eliminate some genetic that was so- nature mm-hmm. things that might change. Mm-hmm. And if you're like, cool, then I, I don't need the e-collar at home anymore or in these certain situations because the dog's been doing great, you might run into an issue where the dog's going through all these changes and then now you don't have a way to help them understand how to navigate that and what's okay and not okay. Right. I always, whenever I'm training a puppy, always tell the owners that. You Mm -hmm. know, they, I always come in as like, their teenage phase, you know, they're, they're, if it's a male and they're unneutered or something Mm -hmm. and or like, or even if it's just a female, whatever, like as they grow mature, there's going to be different stages of just chemical balances and you mm-hmm. know genetics that like you're saying that are going to change the dog. Yeah. You know, just like it changes people, you know. So it's something where, yeah, they can have the structure, but as a 
as it gets older, you know, they might start kind of pushing those limits a little mm -hmm. bit more, being kind of top dog, as you would say. Yeah, you know, yeah something. Is right. turning into a teenager stage. Yep. And that's exactly what happened to Sully. It was like, yeah. Sully was really good, and he was off leash, and he was awesome. And then he was got like around two years old, and that's when we started yep. having the issues with like mm -hmm. socialization and stuff again. And so it was like, mm -hmm. So it's something where it's I kind of had to like take a step back, evaluate, kind of work with him back kind of into it. And so like he's just now at, at a little over three years old mm -hmm. now, just starting to get a little bit more comfortable with it and kind of oh, yeah. back into socialization. But but it, I mean that's that is definitely something that took me a minute to kind of like even for me to kind of like mm -hmm. understand and oh, work yeah. with. But, well, and I think it's important to note too that like because a lot of times. Obviously, we talk about like doing training young and early because you can avoid a lot of potential problems that way. Yeah. And but I do think it's easy to fall into the trap where like if you do everything right and then you still run into like an issue with your dog as they get older and mature, some people get kind of defeatist to be like, well, then what was the point? Like, mm -hmm. I did all this training and my dog's still having this issue or this problem or whatever. Um, it's not a magic wand that doesn't like change right. who the dog is. What the difference is that you now already have a pre-existing language and mm -hmm. communication set up that again, you can help them navigate yeah. what they're going through yeah. and help them figure it out. It can be easier to kind of curve those behaviors as they grow older, whereas yeah. like, you know, unfortunately with like a lot of rescues and stuff, they've had these years of like Yeah. Rehearsing these bad, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Rehearsing these issues or behaviors mm -hmm. that it's obviously harder to curve those behaviors and to eliminate them. But like you're yeah. saying, like puppy, it's like you can hopefully try to get some of those out of the way, but for sure. Genetically oh, stuff yeah. is gonna happen, even mm -hmm. with certain dogs. And so yeah, having that structure presented before those become a big thing mm -hmm. in maturity. You know, we're able to kind of curve it around a little bit easier, I think. Yeah, and you're like setting up in the training process, you're setting up a communication system with your dog. And if we falter, whether that's positive reinforcement, negative reinforcement, whatever methods we use, mm -hmm. if we change the way that we're communicating to our dog, we can see the dog's behavior change where they're not as attentive to us. Mm -hmm. And that comes down to like we were raising them with speaking Spanish. And then all of a sudden we're speaking English to them um, is how I equate it. It's kind of like we've set up a language and if we change that language, the dog's like, yeah. what? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and we're like, how could you act like that? Uh -huh. yeah. And they're like, I don't understand what you want from me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That was definitely important. So it's like until and, and with the training tools and stuff, and it really doesn't even, obviously like e-collars are a, a large portion of tools that we use here mm -hmm. but like when it ultimately comes down to it with my clients i'm like life happens sometimes mm -hmm. you're not going to have the e-collar on i get it but you have to live in a way that you're being mindful of that because it's yeah. like if you don't have the e-collar on you really and especially in these like limbo stages of training where your dog still kind of has a proclivity to go towards 
old habits that we mm-hmm. don't want or not listening because we haven't enforced and made the commands habitual. Right. Like if I'm at my house and Lumos is in my backyard and he doesn't have his e-collar on, I'm not nervous to say come because I know he's going to listen. Right. You know what I mean? Like there's, he's, he's nine years old. Yeah. Like he's at the point where like, even if he was chasing something, if I said come, he's going to listen. Mm-hmm. And I'm really confident in that. I would never trust that in an uncontrolled environment. Mm-hmm. Not trust it, but I would never risk it, right. probably is a better way to put it. Yeah. Um, but like with Snoop, for instance, I'm very picky about, because he's younger and he's been trained far less amount of time, I'm very picky about giving him commands when I'm not in a position to really make sure he's going to do it Mm -hmm. because he doesn't have the muscle memory that Lumos does. When I say come to Lumos, it's like he doesn't even consciously choose. He's just like, because that's just, it's been ingrained in him for so long. So routine. So it's like, yes, you're not going to have the e-collar on all the time. Mm -hmm. I get that. But then you need to be mindful of, instead of saying come, maybe we do something informal like, come here, buddy. You know what I mean? Or something like that. One of those indirect commands. Exactly. Or if you need to deliver a correction, there's plenty of ways to give a correction that aren't the e-collar. Right. You know what I mean? And so if you need to deliver a correction, then maybe that's just a pop on the collar. Maybe it's a pet corrector. Maybe it, you know what I mean? There's a lot of different ways to do it. So it's really, I try to get them less off of the idea of being hung up on the e-collar being this big piece of everything Mm -hmm. and more about just overall, you just need to be consistent and aware of what you're doing with your dog. Mm -hmm. Um, You don't want to be caught where you're in a situation where you can't do anything. And they're mm-hmm. learning to quite literally blow you off because they're like, yeah. there's no repercussion for yeah. me not listening. Like, mm-hmm. I, sometimes I get a treat and sometimes nothing happens. So I don't get a correction. Yeah. And they're like, this is great. Yep, exactly. You've noticed that a lot with like Pip Squeak, as you guys know, I've been working on conditioning a recall and having her come. Mm-hmm. But every now and then she'll slip her a little way under. <laughs> our couch and it's very difficult to get her back because she loves under the couch it's her little cave yeah in that moment i've just stopped trying to recall her and i'll go under the couch i'll pick it up and i'll physically get her yeah rather than being like yeah Yeah. and getting frustrated with her because she's not coming absolutely and then what you're doing is you just if you were to say come in those moments and she doesn't listen and you can't force it in any way then again you're just teaching her that she can escape your commands and not listen and that can get really dangerous and so that's even another situation like I've had clients with a similar issue where I'm like okay then your dog you either need to do what you just described Mm -hmm. or they need to either be wearing a leash if they're not going to have any other enforcement on so that way you can at least grab the leash and get them out drill that specific scenario up because when you go to do it organically and it's happening naturally we can be caught off guard or we're not prepared mm-hmm. as to if I pop that leash on her and we go near her couch and she starts to dip under it I can say come and I'm in a position to physically get her to me yeah. and kind of go from there so we're having less failures and more successes mm-hmm. yeah yeah so I think I think really kind of what it comes down to when it's like oh well my dog listens to another person listens in this context but not in this context i mean if your dog listens in one context but not another they clearly can do it Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, and that's kind of what i always tell people when they when they mention it here they're like oh see they can do it when you're around i'm Mm -hmm. like well then they can do it 
Right. If they can do it here, they can do it there. Yeah. The only reason, and usually I'll ask them, I'll be like, so why do you think it's not happening at home? Yeah. You know, and they know the answer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they know the answer. Yeah. So, but then it's our job, you know, to come up with ways that are realistic to help them change it. Right. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, so I take their dog on a walk here. The dog doesn't react mm. or even they're handling the dog mm. and me just being here for whatever reason, the dog doesn't react and they're still struggling with that at home. It's like, okay, so then let's dissect. What are you doing at home to mm. begin your walk? Because most likely in those situations, it's things where like, as we're going out of the facility to go outside on our walk, I have to remind them, oh, correct him because he just went mm-hmm. through the door ahead of you without permission. Yeah. Oh, fix that position. He just walked ahead. So it's all those little tiny things that I'm telling you to do. So you're doing it. And then magically our walk is really good mm-hmm. when at home, it's probably all those little tiny things that you're just not really cognizant of. Or yeah. people are like, that detail doesn't matter. Like, yes. I just had that. I just did an in-home session with a very reactive shepherd. And he said, I cannot walk on this trail with my dog. It goes ballistic. And we got the dog on the trail mm-hmm. and instantly passed three or four dogs. And the dog was like, I'm not reacting to anything. <laughs> because I have a leash. Yeah. yeah. And then I gave the leash to him. And we did the exact same process and the dog flipped out at a dog. Mm -hmm. And he was like, why does she listen to you and not to me? And I said, I've never had a relationship with this dog that she's been able to pull me down or jump on me or have this really unhealthy, toxic behavior because she's never known anything else from me than structure and guidance and training. And I don't let her get away with all those little details. Mm -hmm. So we went over that and I instead of taking the dog back, because that's what people want you to do, they're like, take it back, you handle it. It's like, no, you have to practice working through this on your own, because yeah. there's going to come a time where I'm not there right. to like yeah. watch you over your shoulder. I had to work through it, and the dog had another reaction, but it was so much less severe yeah. and intense, and that's what I want to see is this improvement, because we're teaching people to handle these situations on their own. Yeah. yeah, I mean, people shouldn't, I don't want to have to, as much as I would love to hang out with my clients and their dogs mm-hmm. forever, I don't want to have to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My job is to get you to be very self-sufficient, where even if down the line you run into a problem, you don't need me. You know what to do. You know yeah. how to fix it. You know how to work through that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, because you shouldn't have to feel like you're relying on the trainer forever mm-hmm. to know how to do everything. That means that they're not giving you the tools to be able to just see a problem, assess it, and not a problem solve it, you right. know, and yeah. figure out how to get there. It's like raising a little baby bird. Like you, yeah. you nurture it and you yeah. teach it and then eventually it's like, bye. <laughs> <laughs> well, and arguably, listen, it's not that dog trainers are just these magicians. The dogs like listen to us mm-hmm. beautifully every time. Arguably, honestly, and truthfully, we just, it's so much easier for us to get your dog to listen to us because we have no context beyond that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, our is solely built off of the structure exactly. and not the emotion. Exactly. Yeah, right? You are fighting a much tougher battle with yes. your dog than I am. Yes. Yeah. Even if your it's dog so hates my guts less. in the beginning, mm-hmm. it's so, it's so much less nuanced 
than what you as the client are going to have to do Absolutely. and the journey of it because they already have, again, the associations built up with you, mm -hmm. the muscle memory of ignoring you or the muscle memory of guarding you or, you know, like these, these pictures rehearsed a million times of when I'm with my owner and I see a dog, I lose my mind. Right. They do that with me one time. I correct it and they're like, oh. Okay. Uh, so that's not how we roll. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, we totally understand that, like, you guys have it way harder, yeah. you know, dealing with your own personal dog. Not to mention you have the emotional investment in the dog. And, like, that plays such a huge part mm -hmm. in being able to follow the plan we set up. Because, of course, it's easy for me to tell you, oh, you need to correct your dog at this level for doing this thing and you need to do this blah 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 and it's going to look a little bit rough but mm -hmm. it's important and we're going to get through this stuff and then for you to have to set aside the like years of like babying and coddling and you know what I mean like mm -hmm. it's tough well, it's really tough habits and it's natural for people to feel that way they shouldn't be shamed in like some other trainers will be like well you're not being tough enough you're not being strict enough and you have to like sometimes stand in the client's shoes and be like, I'm a dog lover myself. I'm a dog owner yeah. myself. Yeah. And if 10 years ago you were telling me to correct one of my dogs and they were going to have maybe a little bit of a reaction, I would have been like, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who are you to tell me that? Yeah. And then you yeah. start to see all the changes that's happening yeah. with your dog and you're like, oh, this plan is working and eventually mm -hmm. getting to a point where we don't have to be so on top of our dogs and we don't have to correct them. Like yeah. with Lumos, your example of having him come to you has just been conditioned and you don't have to get super correction all the mm -hmm. time drill sergeant with him. No, not at all. Yeah, so, oh, and I think another piece too that's important to note is that in like a multi-person household, if there is one person that the dog generally respects and listens to better, it can be very easy to fall into a habit where, say the dog listens to me better, you're trying to tell it to do something, it's not listening, I step in. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people do that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And all that does is further reinforce to the dog that like it's not that serious until mm -hmm. that person comes in. When your father gets home or when yes. your mother gets yes. home. Yeah. My mom was not that late. Yeah. She yeah. was not a wait till your father gets home. Like, I'm going to do it right now. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> she got me scared of me. She too. was just as terrifying, yeah. honestly. Um, yeah. So you want to make sure that you're not falling into that trap where you're it's either crazy. allowing or expecting mm -hmm. the other human in the household to come stand up for you. Yeah. With kids, it's different. I'm talking about like adult yeah relationships with the dog and stuff um but yeah that needs to be like there is a relationship issue there with that person and that dog and they have to be the ones to address it mm -hmm. you know your dog has to respect the handler that is giving the command and yeah. not be hand off constantly be like you do it you make the dog listen yeah because there are some i i kind of term them like user friendly there's some dogs that are very user friendly yeah. and they once a communication system has been established for them they kind of listen to most people mm -hmm. you know what i mean like they're just like whatever that's fine um maybe they would need enforcement every once in a while but and then you have those dogs that truly every single person that tries to tell them to do something you have to prove to them that you're going to make them do it right. yeah. <laughs> like my my shepherd he's not just like 
Seamus, you could probably walk up to him and be like, sit. And he would still probably look at you like, yeah. uh, who are you? Yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, uh, what? You know? So it's like, does it, is it because he doesn't know sit? No, he knows sit. It's just he doesn't know you. Right. <laughs> and so every single person that's interacted with him has to either decide, do I just want to not tell this dog to do anything? Or do I want to actually try to make an effort to make sure he respects me mm -hmm. in the process of it? You know, so that's a big piece of it too, is that even if they know the communication system, I think David just, I think there was a clip from a vlog or something mm -hmm. that they just posted too, basically saying the same thing, that anyone interacting with the dog needs to know that system and needs to know how to enforce it mm -hmm. if the dog ignores them. So whether that's like a pet sitter coming into your house mm -hmm. or a family member watching your dog, doesn't have to be like your dog has to be super proficient with all of their commands with that person, but we need to have the communication in place that they can get your dog in and out of the crate. They can get your dog outside on a leash and not, if your dog struggles with reactivity, that that's not being displayed or those behaviors aren't being rehearsed with that person. Mm -hmm. So it takes a little bit of going mm -hmm. over with the people that are going to be caring for your dog, yeah. whether it's family member, yeah. anybody in the dog's life. And I think your point too of like making it, maybe they don't have to be able to do everything, mm -hmm. you know, that your dog knows or implement all of that, but you can pick and choose like the main things, mm -hmm. you know, that are really important. Like I want the dog to respond well to going in and out of the crate. I want those manners good. And I want you to be able to walk them on leash. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like maybe those are the big things you do and that's it. They don't really need to know anything mm -hmm. else. It's interesting to like, also, to go back to our point of like the emotional side of things, it's always interesting to be that third party in a, especially with couples that have dogs yeah. that they've struggled with, and they sometimes there's a little bit of argument over yeah. <laughs> the situations with the dogs, and it's nice to be that third party to observe and kind of be the common ground that this is what you guys need to do. Yeah, um, and I've really enjoyed being able to offer that guidance to people mm -hmm. when they are struggling or. They're like, no, we got to do it this way. No, we got to do it this yeah. way. And getting people on the same page is so essential to a dog's success. Yeah. And being like, I don't know if you guys agree, but the good cop, bad cop thing can actually be pretty damaging to your dog because oh, there's sure. no consistency behind it. So while we think we're being nice and the good cop, we're actually causing a lot more confusion with the dog, yeah. which is mm -hmm. not fair. Right. Yeah, because sometimes behaviors are permissive and then sometimes yeah. they're not. Yeah. And you know, getting on the couch, getting the bed. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, exactly, like, dad will let you on the bed, but mom doesn't want you on the bed, or vice versa, mm -hmm. or whatever. And it's just like that. Yeah, you see that confusion. Mm -hmm. right? Oh yeah. yeah, and I would say too that the the people that tend to be the more permissive are causing more damage. Yes, mm -hmm. they're the ones that that are tending to cause the most damage because. It's easy to be the one that breaks the rules yeah. and allows the dog to indulge in the things that it wants to, whether they're unhealthy or not. And then it's, and of course, it's uh, that makes it even harder for the person who's trying to enforce the rules because mm -hmm. now the dog has this picture in its mind of like sometimes yes, sometimes right. mm -hmm. no. You know what I mean? And they kind of waver back and forth. Yeah. And that's the perfect way to create anxiety. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like it. <laughs> Emotionally, like, if you want an anxious dog, yeah. that's how 
to do it. And it feels good to be able to like slip your child extra snack or yep. like, oh, let's give him his second chance. And it, that mm-hmm. feels good because we feel like we're providing something for the dog. And then the person providing the rules has to like suffer the consequences of the dog yep. acting up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's not fair to your significant other. Yeah. No, not at all. Yeah, it is interesting how much conflict dogs can create mm-hmm. in people's relationships. Sometimes you feel like um, you're like a little bit of a marriage yes. counselor, a relationship counselor. Yes. Communication yes. is key. Yes. Yeah. yes. But again, like I agree with you, Bridget, that like it can be so helpful to just have an objective third party, mm-hmm. even if that person is saying everything you've been saying for years to your partner and for whatever reason they just don't want to listen to you but now they're listening to the dog mm-hmm. trainer like All right. maybe they just needed to hear from somebody else mm-hmm. you know what I mean I think I think probably relationships always struggle with pieces of that in every aspect yeah, yeah. like you know I could tell my husband that he needs to stretch more for years and then if it was one of his friends was like dude I've been stretching and it's been great he'd yeah. probably be like how me Maybe I can do that. Watch this. Um, But yeah, sometimes you just like when people are too close, Um, you know what I mean? It can like cause friction, Mm -hmm. um, even if what you're saying is factual. Well, and it's something, and you know, if the one person is right or whatever, sometimes the the trainers in that in the situation of dog training stuff have a little bit more of a reason to back up it. Instead oh, of just sure. being like, the dog's not allowed on the couch. And they're like, no, they are. And it's like, no, they're not. Like, it's, it's bad for the training or whatever. Sometimes they don't really know like the whole reason behind it or the sure. problems that can be because of it and everything. Sure. So their justification or their rule isn't as justified, right? Yeah. But then the training come in and be like, well, this is why it's probably not as good if you have guests mm-hmm. over, kid, whatever, blah, blah, yeah. resource guarding. And so then it's like, oh, okay. So yeah. you were right, but you just didn't know why you were right. Yeah. It goes from like, that's your preference to like, oh, like that's just really the right way to do it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. And that, I actually had clients recently that were like, it, they even said that like their marriage concerning the doc has improved because mm-hmm. they're like, we... I'd be Googling and he'd be Googling and we'd both come up with different answers. And then we're like, well, why is yours right and mine is wrong? And then it would be like this whole thing. And they're like, you know, the first week you told us to stop Googling and just ask you things for now on. They're like, and that's just been so much more simpler because it's like, maybe none of those things were wrong, but you can't do 50 million techniques and expect it to work. Yeah. You have to like, well, a highlight recently that I've had was I had a very, nervous shepherd and went to the vet and it was awful and they had a very emotional visit where they left feeling absolutely defeated and there was a lot of coddling from both parties on at the vet they read oh give the dog a lot of treats at the vet give mm-hmm. the dog a lot of cheese something high value and this dog cannot be touched by the vet to the point they the vet said this dog cannot come back unless it's completely sedated mm-hmm. so i went to an appointment with them and we got the dog into a down, and that's the only criteria we held. She got corrected one time for having an explosive reaction when the stethoscope. They were listening to her heart. She was like, <laughs> <laughs> and one correction, and the rest of the time we were able to do the vaccines, the shots, the blood draw, wow. and the dog was wow. completely fine. And that's they awesome. were like, they were like, how? 
Mm-hmm. And yeah. I was like, we we don't emotionally coddle this dog. Yeah. And we both know the dog them, can do it. Yeah, both of them it. were feeding into it, and both of them said we were Googling back and forth, and I was like, next time just give me a call. Yeah. <laughs> Which they did. Yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah, we're, you know, I think that's part of, uh, I was talking to somebody the other day, I was like, it, being a good dog trainer has a small amount to do with dogs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a relatively yes. small amount. Like, you mainly need to be just a good people person. Yes. yes. You need to be able to connect with people and communicate well mm-hmm. and, like, stuff like that because that's the biggest piece of the success is mm-hmm. getting people to want to do the things that yeah. are going to work. Mm-hmm. Even when it doesn't always feel good to yeah. do it. Yeah, yeah. You know? Trust the process. And yeah. if the training trainer feels right to you, like lean on them for a little bit of support if you're unsure about things Mm -hmm. because we're always here to help you back you up if you have any questions or nuances behaviors come up like that's what we're here for yeah that's the one thing i always tell others and stuff is like you know i i love my job because i love like working with dogs and, and with people and stuff so it's like it's something where i i want to see the dog succeed just as much as the owners do right mm-hmm. even if it's just a puppy issues to a dog that mm-hmm. has is bite risk and everything like that you know i i want to see them succeed just as much so it's like if you need that help you know like like you were saying like i i want to get to a point where you feel confident in yourself to deal with those issues and do it but in terms of teaching you know especially in boarding trains you know you're catching up to the dog yeah. At, at first, you know, so mm-hmm. so coming to me for all these questions and stuff, and then you are feeling defeated, and you feel like it's just not what it was in the cento and everything. It's like that's it happens every single dog. Yeah. You know, like yeah. obviously they're going to be different because the transition. You know, they're going mm-hmm. back to that household where they could get away with stuff. So yeah, I think it's something that you know having that kind of aspect of making sure that you have a trainer that you can trust and, and know mm-hmm. that is yeah. there for you. Nobody's you know? going to judge you or make you feel stupid or right. small or yeah unworthy. Yeah. Yep. If you're working with somebody like that, there's plenty of other people you could work with that are mm-hmm. like that. Yes. <laughs> there's no place for that. That's when you can Google. Or bullying people. Yeah. <laughs> Google better dog trainers yes. near me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, but yes, so if you're, if you're struggling in any capacity with a dog who in certain contexts doesn't listen as well, with certain people doesn't listen as well, um, that just means that we need to evaluate what we're doing and how we're communicating with the dog. In what areas are we being a little bit too lenient? In what areas are, you know, we not enforcing things, stuff like that. Making sure, I know that being the one, like even in my own household, me being like, the main dog person. There are times where my husband's trying to get the dog to do something that it's easier for me to just be like, I'll just do it, yeah. <laughs> you know? And it's like, I have to intentionally like take a step back and be like, he needs to do it. Because even the dogs are looking at me like, can you believe <laughs> right. <yeah>. this guy? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so it's, it can be easy to be that person that just oversteps a lot. And yeah. so sometimes it's good to take that step back too. Mm-hmm. But. Yeah. All right. Any other last thoughts? Mm-hmm.